And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those uh, for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Uh, We are coming in our study through the Gospel of Mark, really to the the end of a section. In fact, this sort of marks a bit of a pause for us as a church. Um, We're going to pause our study in the book of Mark, and the next week we're going to start into our new teaching series. Um, called When You Come Together. So we'll, we'll hear more about that next week. And that is really the, 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 the next week's um, series uh, starting is all going to be about what we do when we come together as a church, worship, and, uh, and why we do what we do here, and, and what God's Word has to say about that. So, so today, um, the, the sermon really uh, from these verses is just going to be like a, almost like an overview of some of the themes that we have been thinking about together over the last few weeks. Um, and uh, it's right there in the Bible. So um, if you've been walking with us over the last few weeks and months as a church, some of this will be revision for you. Uh, I hope it will be challenging, but if you're new as well, hopefully it'll give you a bit of a glimpse and an insight into what makes us tick as a church. And, and, and we get that from the Bible, right? We're not just making this stuff up. Uh, we are receiving, uh, you know, the, the, the words of the Bible as God's word. Um, so what we're going to see today then, we're going we're to think of this passage under three headings. And it's really all about life together, all right? Life together as the people of God, the church. Um, and so what we'll see as we go through, number one, is that life together is founded on the cross. It's founded on the cross. Secondly, we'll see that life together is patterned on the cross. And thirdly, we'll see that life together points to the cross. All right? So it's founded, patterned, and points to the cross. So first of all, life together is founded on the cross. The Christian life, you see, is not just a decision to live differently. Um, It's not just like we agree to a certain set of principles and we just try really hard as a people to to live them out. Um, Firstly and formally, uh, life together is founded on the concrete facts of history, Um, and particularly 
Jesus, the history of Jesus. That's where we take our starting point from as a church. Um, look, look with me at these verses here. It says that in verse 32, the first, the first verse, they were on the road to Jerusalem. All right, and we, this is more than just like a sat-nav indication, you know, turn left to go to Jerusalem. Uh, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, whenever uh, Mark is pointing us to Jerusalem, we know as readers, and Mark's readers knew what Jerusalem meant. All right? It's more than just a trip to the capital to see the sights. The, the journey to Jerusalem meant the cross. It meant Jesus going to the cross and dying. And so here we are again. This, this whole episode takes place on the road to Jerusalem. And even there, there's a little indication that I absolutely love here. In verse 32, uh, it says that they're on their way to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Right? He was going out ahead. He was leading them to Jerusalem. He wasn't dragging his feet, you know, like some sort of uh, prisoner, you know, dragging their feet on the way to prison or the, you know, the, the, the guillotine or whatever it is. He was walking out in front. He was leading his people to Jerusalem. And it says there that some people uh, who were following him were, were amazed at him and what he was saying and doing and the whole thing about Jesus. They just found utterly amazing, attractive, wonderful. It says others that were following him or following probably further, further back were afraid. Who, who is this? You know, this man with such great power and poise and, and, and spiritual ability. Some were amazed, but some were afraid. Um, but we don't see here or anywhere else in Scripture anybody who was just sort of, meh, you know, meh, when it comes to Jesus. You don't get that with him. Um, you don't get people who are just like, nah, whatever, shrugging their shoulders. Uh, we never see that in the Gospels. That's because if you really understand Jesus and, and, and you meet him and understand what he's calling us to do, if you really get, your, your reaction is never whatever. Your reaction is either amazement or it's anger, fear, whatever. He'll either attract you to him or he'll push you away, effectively. But it's never nothing. It's never passive. So if, if, you, if, you're, if you're feeling or if, if your only experience of Jesus is like, whatever, then honestly, you haven't understood him. You haven't taken seriously what he says and what he's done. It'll do one or the other to you. Anyway, uh, I digress. So um, they're on their way to Jerusalem. And, and on their way, Jesus, for the third time, is predicting what's going to happen to him, right? He's going to Jerusalem, he says in verse 33. And, you know, he uses this term, the Son of Man, to refer to himself. And he says, look, we're off to Jerusalem. Uh, the Son of Man, he says, is going to be delivered over to you know, the chief priests, the scribes. These are the religious leaders of, 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 uh, of um, the Jews. It's going to be delivered to them. Um, they're going to condemn him. They're going to find him deserving of death, he says. Uh, and, and then when they've done that, they'll deliver him to the Gentiles, that is to the Romans, you know, the ones who are really in charge of, of the area at that time. Uh, and those people are going to mistreat him, it says. They're going to mock him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to, you know, beat him up. They're going to mistreat him, uh, as I say. And, and eventually they're going to kill him. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. Are you with me? Says Jesus. <laughs> do, do you get it? Do you understand why we're going to Jerusalem? And it's just amazing to me that he led the way yeah, in full awareness of what he was going to do. 
and trying to help his followers to understand what he was going to do. Uh, Jesus went into it with his eyes wide open. He was a man on a mission, uh, on his own, um, on a mission to, to save his people. And we'll see that in a minute. It's amazing. But why did he do this? What was his motivation? Um, given that he knew what was awaiting him and his predictions, why did he do it? Did he have some sort of death wish? Was he a crazy? Right? Was he deluded? Did he have some severe psychosis where he thought it was a good thing to go off and die? Is that what was going on here? Well, right at the end of our passage, you might want to look at that in verse 45, the very far, uh, last verse. Jesus gives the explanation as to why He's leading them to Jerusalem. He says, the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, that's me, says Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All right, that's why he was doing it, um, to be a ransom. What is this idea of ransom? You may think, well, we're probably familiar um, if you've watched enough Hollywood movies to know what ransom is or ransom money. You know, if someone gets kidnapped, um, uh, often those who do the kidnapping are interested in something in return, right? You know, they kidnap somebody, and, and then the ransom is the amount of money required in order to release that person, right? You give us a bunch of money, a million dollars, and we'll release this person for you. So the idea of ransom is giving something in exchange for life. It's giving something to, to release someone so that they who were kidnapped uh, can come home safely. And the ransom is the thing that is paid in order for that to be achieved. And that, says Jesus, is why I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to pay your ransom. I'm going to get you out. That's what it means. That's why he's going. And so you hear of this term, the gospel, among Christian circles. The Christian gospel is exactly this. It is the facts of what happened and the interpretation of those facts. And to, to be a Christian, I suppose, to be a, a part of the, the, the people of, of Jesus, uh, you, we are required to, to say that these facts and this interpretation that we get here is true. Right? It's just globally true. And it's true for me. All right, it's true for all of us, and it's true for me. And when that penny drops in you, uh, in your mind, in your heart, then you become a follower of Jesus. That's how we enter. That's the same for all of us, right? That's how we enter the kingdom of God. That's how we enter the favor of God. That's how we receive the forgiveness of God. It's through believing that that is true, and it's true for me. And it's both. Something that you have to do on your own, of course, um, it's something that, that we are all asked to, to receive or, or accept by faith. Right? None of us can turn the clock back and actually go and see Jesus in a time machine. So we accept that what we read here is true. We accept it by faith and with faith. That's it. It's, it's pretty simple, actually. Right, we saw last week that Jesus was teaching, whoever accepts me or accepts the kingdom of God like a child shall enter the kingdom. All right, if a child can accept it and understand it, then surely we can, right? As adults, we can accept 
this message, this basic message. It's the same for all of us. It doesn't matter what your position is in society or what your background is or, or where, you know, where, where you're from or anything like that. We all get into the kingdom of God and the favor of God in the same way by accepting this is true for me and true for all of us. There's no difference. That's why our life together is founded on the cross. Right? It, it unites us together. It's the thing that we have in common as people. So many things uh, make us different, and yet it's the cross of Jesus that, that we have in common. That's what we share together. It's, it's our faith that we possess as a community. Right? So... Um, before we move on, if, 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 if it's that simple, right, if it's just a case of accepting the facts and their interpretation for me, then why doesn't everybody just believe in Jesus? If it's that simple, right? Uh, in, in other words, what have we got to lose? Even, even if there's an element of doubt in our minds, what have we got to lose by accepting uh, the gospel for ourselves? Why doesn't everybody do it if it's that simple? And, and, and really it's a sort of win-win scenario. Um, the, re- the reason why, by the way, the reason why that not everybody accepts the good news about Jesus is that, quite honestly, if I can be direct with you, um, it takes guts to admit that you're wrong and that you need it. Um, it. It takes guts to admit that you've sinned and that somewhere along the line you need rescue, you need God to come down and, and pull you up. You can't do it on your own. You know, it requires a level of humility to say, you know what, I've, I've messed up, I need help. And not everybody wants to go there. You know, some people maybe just don't think that they're all that bad and therefore don't need Jesus and the Christian gospel. They think that Christianity is for those who are weak, you know, weak in mind or weak in psychology or something for those type of people. But for those of us who can work hard and have a good life, we don't need to rely on religion. Perhaps some people go to the other extreme as well when it comes to understanding Jesus, and they say, no, 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 it's not because I'm too good. It's actually, I can't accept this because I'm too bad. You know, if, if, if God really knew what was going on in my heart, if he really knew what I had done in the past, or what's happened to me, then there's no way that he would want somebody like me. We, you know, some people think they're either too good and don't need Jesus or too bad, bad and can't have him. But as we read here and, and, and throughout the Bible, this is not hidden away by any means. Um, you are simultaneously far worse than you'd ever thought, but you're also far more loved than you could ever have dreamed. You're far worse than you had ever imagined. That's why Jesus had to die. Right? He had to go to Jerusalem. There was no other way for you to be made right before God. And yet in the gospel, you're far more loved than you ever dreamed because Jesus chose to go to the cross. He, he, he wanted to. He wanted to pay that ransom for you so that you could be free. And as we see, and as we sing all the time, he took our sins to the grave and he won your life when he rose from the grave. That's why our life together is founded on the cross. But we also see, um, secondly then, 
flowing on from that, that our life together as his people is patterned on the cross. All right? it, um, when we look at the cross, it gives us the example about how we get on as people together. Right? Um, so it's found on the cross, but it's the pattern of the cross. Look, look at verse 35 and that, that, the rest of that section. We've got James and John. Uh, they're brothers. Um, in fact, it tells us there, it reminds us, the sons of Zebedee. Their dad was called Zebedee, and they were fishermen. And way back at the beginning, Jesus called them. He said, follow me. And they dropped their nets and followed him. And um, uh, they were therefore one of the, the 12 apostles, right? And uh, Jesus actually nicknamed them the sons of thunder uh, because they had a temper and they would often fly off the handle and, and do crazy stuff. Sons of thunder is what Jesus called them. And, you know, true to form, here they are, the sons of thunder, trying to pull a fast one on the other 12, or the other 10, sorry. Um, as we've said, uh, they're on their way to Jerusalem and, and James and John evidently thought, great, Jerusalem is coming. This is when Jesus is going to come into his glory. That's when he's going to get crowned. That's when he's going to use all this, this sort of uh, miraculous stuff to, to wipe away the enemy. It's going to be awesome. He's going to come into the zone. And we're going to be right there with him. And so they want to have a little quiet chat with Jesus. Just looking around themselves for the perfect opportunity. Obviously, as they're on their way to Jerusalem, and it wasn't just something you, you walk to in a few minutes. It would have taken several days to get there. And so they would have stopped by the way and you know, stayed in a guest house or an Airbnb on their way down. And uh, you know, they just look for a little moment with Jesus. And um, evidently, they sort of sidled up to Jesus at one point and said, um, Rabbi, could, could uh, me and my brother have a little, little word with you? Um, is that all right? So off they went around the, the side of the venue. And um, <clears throat> Jesus said, OK, what, what is it that you want? And they said, right, here's the thing. When you come into your glory, can we sit, one of us on the right hand and one of us on the left hand? What is that? What does that all mean? Well, in, in those uh, circumstances, in those times, to sit at the right hand of someone uh, would be to occupy the place of greatest honor in their in their kingdom, I suppose. If you sit at the right hand of the king, you are, you know, effectively you're the prime minister, right? You're the, you're the, you're the chief uh, leader. And, and the left hand would be sort of not quite as good as the right, but, but still pretty good. You, you, you're right next to, to, the, to the king, right? When you're sitting behind the, the table or what have you. Can we have the two greatest positions in your kingdom when you come into the good stuff, Jesus? Um, obviously, as we've seen over the last few weeks, there's already like an inner circle within the apostles, Peter, James, and John. And, and, and here, James and John are saying to Jesus, can you just tighten that circle a little more? Take Peter out, just me and you. You know, there's only, there's only right and the left-hand positions here. Maybe James and John could just have them on their own. That's what they want. And so they get in first. Right? Beat the competition. Bagsy. Bagsy the front seat, right? Me and my sister used to do that all the time, right? Bagsy the front seat. Oh, just one again, you know. Jesus said, though, in verse 38, guys, you have no idea what you're asking for. Yes, we do, said Peter, said James and John. Okay, says Jesus. See this cup I'm about to drink? Can you drink it too? Yes, of course we can, they say. And what about this baptism I'm about to go through? Can you be baptized with that same experience? Yeah, absolutely, says James and John. No problem at all. Obviously, in their minds, they thought that the cup was the cup of blessing. 
Right? It's a well-known biblical metaphor. The cup of blessing. You drink back the blessing, the good wine. But they forgot that the cup is also used as the, the way that God pours out his, his wrath, his righteous anger. They thought they were going to get the cup of blessing, and Jesus is referring to the cup of judgment. And likewise, with the baptism, they probably thought it's the baptism of anointing. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's the baptism of judgment. Are you, are you ready to step up and drink the wrath of God, be, you know, the, the baptism of judgment? And he says, well, in verse 39, actually, one day you will. But it seems to be that James and John in their minds, as we've said, have this picture of the glory and the splendor and the greatness and they thought to themselves, as they do, the sons of thunder, every time, let's just grasp this opportunity before we get there. Let's get our spoken before the rest of them try and go for the same positions. And it was a fly move. And of course, in verse 41, it says here, the ten caught wind of the plan. They heard what was going on. Maybe overheard it. Maybe one of them just sort of uh, eavesdropped or something. It says they were indignant. Of course they would be. How dare you go to Jesus? We don't know the motivation behind their indignance, but they were probably gutted that they lost out, that they got beat to it, that, that, that James and John were first to the plate again. Ah, they were indignant. And so as we've seen here, that just provides a wonderful teaching moment for Jesus as the great teacher. He says, guys, 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 Come in, come in here. Let's, let's have another huddle. So in verse 42, it says, Jesus gathered them together and he said to them, look at the guys outside. Look at the Gentiles, right? They, I mean, the Romans. Look at the way that they do greatness. For them, greatness is, is lording it over one another, he says in verse 42. And that's how they exercise authority. Just look, look, look at them, says Jesus. You know, for them, greatness means might is right. Use your power, grab on hold, grasp, grapple, whatever it is. Use your power to get more power. Use your authority to get more authority. That's how they do it. But it shall not be so among you. That's not how you do it in the kingdom of God. Um, I, don't, I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of the topic or the subject of greatness, or indeed who is great in your estimation. Um, may, maybe for you, greatness is a sort of, you think of it in terms of military greatness. Right, I just finished watching uh, The Band of Brothers. Have you heard of The Band of Brothers? I'm a bit late to the party. It was actually 20 years ago that they actually made that. It's amazing. Anyway, I, wa I just watched it. That's how slow I am at catching up with culture. Uh, Band of Brothers, right? And uh, it, 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 over a 10, 10 series or 10 episodes in the series, um, it takes you through uh, various perspectives among American soldiers in what they call the, the Easy Company. They were basically paratroopers who sort of landed into Normandy on D-Day, and then it follows them around Europe for the next three or four years until the end of the war and just after it, actually. And, and, and during that, it was all written on sort of first-hand accounts, so I have good reason to believe it's reasonably historic. Um, it, it, it tells you and shows you some of the dramatic, remarkable um, tales of, of, of hero heroism and, and sacrifice. Um, 
And it's just incredible. But what's almost more incredible is that at the start of most of the episodes, they line up some of the guys who are actually in real life, they're well into their 80s, and they're, they're talking about this, um, you know, this experience. And then they're obviously uh, represented by actors later on in, in, in the show. Um, but quite often, these are just very humble men uh, who, after the war, went back to manual labor or construction. Uh, one, of, one of the chief um, actors, um, Major, Major Winters, he, he went back and he ended up selling animal feed for the rest of his life. And yet the, 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 the heroism, the greatness is just incredible. So for me, that's what I think of when I think of greatness. Maybe for you, you're thinking of other leaders in history, perhaps in the realm of politics, or, or you know, leaders in science, you know, have made amazing discoveries that have benefited humankind. You think, oh man, what? that's greatness right there, discovering this or discovering that. Maybe for you, it's in, in the realm of sports, you know, truly great athletes who have sort of broken boundaries, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, just done remarkable things in their, in their own discipline. Maybe it's musicians for you. You think of great writers of, of, of past eras, great artists, those who have shaped, you know, uh, and created and, and all the rest of it. But Jesus says here, in my kingdom, greatness looks very, very different. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, verse 43, then you have to be a servant. If you want to be first of all, you have to be a slave to all. Right? Just assume this menial position, putting others and their needs ahead of you. If that's how you want to get greatness, that's, that's how you have to do it. So this idea of James and John to sort of bagsy the best positions in the revolution, those ideas are all wrong, says Jesus. This, this fake indignation from the rest of you because you missed out, that's all wrong too, says Jesus. This attitude belongs to those out there says Jesus, outside the kingdom. Because inside the kingdom, our life together is patterned on the cross. And before that, it's because it's founded on the cross. Jesus makes the way for us to come into the kingdom, but he also creates the ethic, you know, the lifestyle about how it looks when we're inside the kingdom. He shows us how this uh, all works together. Even the Son of Man, he says, did not come to be served, but to serve if Jesus gave his life, if he was the true servant, the great servant, then surely, as his people, we should look a bit like him. You know, most conflict inside the church happens because outside ideas of greatness filter in. And we start behaving like we need to grapple and grab and make power plays and promote ourselves. And, and this happens inside the church, and it's sickening. I'm not saying this church, but in general, it happens. Perhaps you've experienced it. But conflict or disunity in the church never happens because there's so many servant-hearted people laying down their lives for another. That's not what causes conflict. It's conflict because our life together is not patterned on the cross. And here it clearly shows that it should be. So it's founded on the cross. Life together is patterned on the cross. But thirdly and finally then, life together points to the cross. And here's, I suppose, where we get into the, the nitty-gritty. And um, we've been seeing so far, haven't we, that greatness in the kingdom means service. It means, it means putting others ahead of ourselves. 
Um, people uh, living together in community are patterned on the cross because their lives are founded on the cross. And so therefore, when you get a group of people who are committed to this because of what Jesus has done for them, it points to the cross. The way that we live our lives together as his people will point to the cross powerfully. Because as we've seen here, giving up um, our preferences and our opportunities for the sake of other people is so otherworldly. It is alien. It is so different to everything else out there, honestly. And so if we are a group of people committed to uh, living lives patterned on the cross because they're founded on the cross, then we will, by nature, contrast with the rest of the world. Like We can't not contrast if that's what we're committed to doing. As we've seen in the world, greatness means crushing the small people, grabbing what you can. But in the church, we serve like Jesus. How, how different those two attitudes are. And by the way, I say in the church um, because what, what I don't want you to do uh, as you listen to this and take this away home with you is, is to think that, that all I'm talking about is serving in general. Serving in general is a good thing. Always is. Um, but what I'm, do, what I'm saying is that, that first and foremost, it starts here. It starts in the church. Uh, a specific group of people, a defined group of people committed to doing life together. Um, and, and, and when we see it like that, and when we realize that's our role as the church, this church, then it takes us beyond a vague sentiment to go and do a good job out there somewhere. It takes us beyond a, just a nice idea, and it roots us, it connects us to one another, to these people around you. Right? Because if you can love and serve them, then you will be like a shining light, I kid you not, in the world around you. So living this out as a church with a distinct group of people is far, far, far more difficult than vague sentiments. But it is far more obvious to those inside the church and to the world looking on. That's what we're doing. So with that in mind then, we have a wonderful opportunity, an amazing opportunity as God's people to point to the cross strongly. We can't not point to the cross if we get this right. And so let me just uh, fire out a few um, practical ways, you know, that, that, that this uh, will be fleshed out among us as a community of believers. And none of these are rocket science, um, but I just want to press this home just so you know exactly how this can look. So, if we are a community founded on the cross, patterned on the cross, and pointing to the cross, we will be the kind of place that will serve one another. We'll just hear stories of serving, right, within the church, uh, of putting others first, of giving up our rights, of laying down our preferences, so that we will preferentially bless others ahead of ourselves, strengthen others. We, we will be the kind of people that think to ourselves, how can I use what I've got to build up those people around me? galvanize them in the faith what can I do okay you're all clever people you don't need me to lead you by the hand and tell you exactly what that means but some ideas you know it might mean something so simple like texting somebody you know connecting with someone it might mean you know doing what we're doing here just bringing books and resources blessing someone when you hear of a need you try and meet it these type of things that's what it means that's how it looks 
Even more specifically, how about this? Hospitality. Hospitality is a key expression pointing to the cross of Jesus because hospitality says I'm willing to give you time, I'm willing to use my resources, I'm willing to open up my home, I'm willing to share my life with you and some of my food as well. And hospitality, hopefully you know this, doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to have a certain type of house or a certain type of you know, dwelling in order to do this. Too often we think it has to be just so with napkins and you know, side plates and all that. No, the focus of hospitality, folks, is, is, is opening our homes and loving one another and just saying, come into my home, come into my life and, 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 and let, come let us do life together. Let's not let a certain view of what hospitality means. Um, be a stumbling block. So that's the kind of community it sets up. Serving one another, hospitality. Uh, more, more specific again, caring for one another. It's an obvious application. You know, we're willing to slow down. We're willing to stop the busyness in our lives, to slow down and listen to those around us. Really listen. You know, to offer them support where appropriate, to offer them wisdom, to just simply be available for those around us in this church. And I know for a fact from the, you know, the medical profession, maybe you've got a healthcare background as well, you know, we do, Marion's a GP, that, that, that a lot of the time, at least 50%, if not more, people just need to talk. All right? Broken, hurting people just needs to talk. Can we, can we not be the place where that, at least, at least here, is something that we do? Just being a listening ear, being willing to slow down, you know, putting the brakes on, particularly you know, our carefully controlled lives, and just saying, you know what, I'm here for you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to care for you. Serving, hospitality, care. Giving is another way. We can flesh this out again, pointing to the cross. Uh, giving financially to the ministry here at Foundation Church. If you think that all we're trying to do is put on cool services for you, then, then that, you need to come a bit, bit more to Foundation Church. You know, we, we love gathering on a Sunday. It's such an important time for us. Um, but this is about equipping the saints and, and preparing ourselves to go out and make a, a splash for Jesus, a noise for Jesus in our city and beyond. And we've already been talking here about renewal and how we can partner with other churches, um, how we can plant new churches to talk about Jesus in other areas that we can't reach. That's what we want to do to the glory of God. And we can't do that um, unless, uh, as a community, we're willing to, to back that and to give to gospel advance, using our resources again to help grow the kingdom of God, not hoarding it to the kingdom of, of me. Uh, leadership style is another way I'm, I'm just going to finish with the bullet points in a minute but you know what uh, we hear so many bad stories of, of over dominating leadership styles particularly within the church people get hurt, people get beat up sheep get you know, bruised and used not so with you says Jesus that stuff is from outside instead serve one another and so the leadership style in this church here um, particularly from elders and pastors uh, shepherds is, is not as, as the Apostle Peter says, is not domineering over those in your charge, and yet leading by example. That's the leadership style we're going for here at Foundation. And that's just within the church. You know, and if you're committed to living that cross-shaped life, it will spill out, of course. It will spill out beyond what we do. If you carry that cross-shaped attitude into church, then clearly 
um, you will point to the cross. And I've found this over the years in my place of work in my hospital, building a reputation just by living out a servant-hearted attitude towards people, um, going the extra mile, being the person that they can count on. Okay, we're not talking rocket science here again. It's obvious stuff. But if you live a life like that and you're that kind of person at work, then others will see that. Others will ask you. Um, others are more interested to listen to your opinions. They will be. And particularly if you're in the same place of work continually, you get a wonderful opportunity to build up that reputation, the sort of kingdom reputation. It just does wonders for gospel advance. It really does. Superb framework um, to then you know, allow you to, to speak directly for Jesus when the time comes. Just a few uh, points of conclusion, and then we are done. Um, over the last few months, um, we've been examining together, haven't we, the claims of Jesus. Uh, we've been examining his words. We've been hearing his calling. We've been thinking about what it looks like to follow him. So let me just challenge you as we sort of uh, come to the end of this section then in our teaching series. Where, where do you land when it comes to Jesus? Um, how do, how do you view Jesus? Do you, do you think of yourself as an insider or as an outsider? Maybe for you this morning, as you hear this and, and think of these words, maybe for you it is time for you to come in. Uh, come, in come into the community, come into that relationship with Jesus. Maybe for you today is the first time when you need to actually say, you know what, that is true and it is true for me. Maybe that's the step you need to take this morning. Uh, perhaps uh, you're different, and perhaps you know Jesus, or you know of him, and you're very familiar with him. Perhaps you've been brought up with the stories through church and all that. Um, and yet somehow or other, you're a lone ranger, you know? Um, you've, been, you've been wandering around. And maybe for you, the, 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 the reaction that you might want to take is, is a desire to step into this life together that we're talking about. Stop being a lone ranger and, and start doing life together, with us, with these people, specifically, these faces. And finally, if you're an insider and you're one of our sort of regulars and one of our committed core of people, then just think to yourself, how can I point to the cross even more strongly? Are there areas in your life that you've been just, quite frankly, backing down a little bit, holding back, uh, restricting yourself off from other people too much? Even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve.